Thank you, Steve, and each of you musicians. Those songs really prepared our hearts, or preparing our hearts for worship. This morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we want to look at uh, this passage of Scripture, and one of the big things you need to remember about uh, the book of 1 Corinthians Paul deals with one problem after another that the church was having in Corinth, and one of the problems they were having was with the Lord's table. And uh, in verse 17, where we will start here in a minute, they uh, indicate that uh, there were serious problems in that church as they took the Lord's table. One of the things that I want to remind you about the Lord's table, and one of the reasons our church does the Lord's table, is that the most important issue when we look at it as a church family, leadership in the church, is everyone that comes, your relationship with God is critically important. Think about this. We can come, we can do a lot of things, we can enjoy singing and all that. But if somebody comes and they don't know Jesus Christ and have a real and living relationship with him, they're going to die and go to hell. For those of us who know Christ, we plan to spend eternity together forever and ever and ever with the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we come to a service like the Lord's table, where we're commanded to examine ourselves, we can't examine somebody else. We have to examine ourselves, and then we're commanded to remember Christ. You know, church history is filled with some really odd stories about the Lord's table. Some uh, strange ways that churches used to do the Lord's table. Uh, There are three types of communions. There's closed. That means only the membership or only improved people can partake of the Lord's table. There's open, anybody, anyway, anytime. And then there's close communion. And close communion says, hey, every believer needs to examine their heart and then remember Christ. This morning, I have here a token. And this is uh, one of the special little treasures that I've received uh, during my years of ministry. Uh, This token is stamped 1850. It was given out in Scotland at a Presbyterian church. And then on the other side of the coin, it says, do this in remembrance of me 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. Now, why did they have a token? 
170 years ago at the church? Well, because you were examined by the elders, and if you didn't have a token, you couldn't take the Lord's table. Then there are churches today, you can go sit down and on a little card they'll say, only members are allowed to take the Lord's table here. Uh, the many different approaches. I read in history about one pastor who got so serious about the Lord's table, he preached for 20 years and then taught, personally talked to everybody before they took the table. So there are a lot of extremes, a lot of unusual things. Some people are, <clears throat> believe that once the clergy prays over the elements, they become the literal body and the literal blood of Christ. Then somebody says, no, that's not good for me. Uh, I, I believe when the pastor prays over them, they become the spiritual body and the spiritual blood of Christ. And friends, <clears throat> Paul said it this way, do this in remembrance of me. There is, no, <clears throat> there is nothing added uh, of a spiritual significance to the elements of the communion. We are to remember what they stand for. And this uh, table was not to be something you do just out of habit. Or this is our custom. But when you and I take the Lord's table... We need to be worshiping Christ. Uh, it's interesting how Paul breaks that chapter down or how the Holy Spirit through Paul did in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 20. He talks about the purpose of the historical uh, roots of the memorial. Uh, the problem, they were segregating the rich people uh, just ate till they couldn't hold anymore and they wouldn't share it with the poor people. And that kind of behavior was not what God intended at the Lord's table. So Paul, in 17 through 34, restores the original significance of the Lord's table. Look at at uh, chapter 11 there, verse 17, Paul is giving instructions. <clears throat> he says, I do not con command you because you come together. It is far better, but for the worse. In other words, they're coming to the Lord's table, and it was worse for them to take the table and not better. Now, how would you like the pastor to stand up uh, and say, well, we're going to take the Lord's table, and I want to tell you it'll be worse for you if you take it than better. And that's how Paul started out his instructions here. And then he goes on down, and verse 27, he says, whoever therefore eats this bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty 
To be guilty is to have an unrepentant heart concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And then verse 28 says, let a person or every man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. To come to the Lord's table and cling to your sin not only dishonors the ceremony, it dishonors the body and blood. It's treated lightly, the gracious sacrifice of Christ. It all must, we must set all of our sins before the Lord. Confess, have a cleansed heart and a life. And I love 1 Thessalonians 2.4 that says, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, let me say it another way. Just as we've been saved, we understand the gospel. What is the gospel? How that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again from the dead. And we've been entrusted with the gospel. When people understand who Christ is and they believe in him, they pass from spiritual death to spiritual life, and they have eternal life with Christ. And then he says, we don't speak to please men, but we speak to please God. Listen to the last words, who tests our hearts. Do you know how God tests your heart? As you're reading the word, or you hear the word, it's that indwelling spirit of God that makes you aware. He makes you alive to the truth of God. And it, like we read in Psalms 32, for the believer to bear the burden of sin, it's heavy. It can take your health away. It can take your life away. So when we know we're not in right relationship with Christ, our lives are not where God wants them to be, we need to confess our sin and forsake it. Listen to Paul's words to the church in Ephesus. Chapter 4, verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's a lot of fussing and fighting and hate and conflict. And then he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Why does he say that? You know, every person here has been made by God. That's an incredible reality. And God loves every person the same. How do you know that? 
Psalm 139 says that God knew before the earth was even created. He designed you and I, and he had a plan and purpose for each of our lives. And when he designed us, he put us in the book of life. And then one day we were born, and we're told we need to trust Christ to forgive us of our sins so we can have eternal life. He says, be kind, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Friends, I tell you this. When you and I realize how much God has had to forgive us, who are we not to be forgivers? When you realize Christ loved you and died on the cross for your sins, he forgave you. In Paul's start to the Lord's table in verse 15, he, he says there's divisions, there's factions among you. Do you know some churches, before they take the Lord's table, take a break. If you need to go get something right with someone else, go do it. Confess your sins. Forsake your sins. But have a right relationship with God and with one another. One of the truths that you will grow in your understanding on, and that is our God is eternal. You say, yeah, I know that, Pastor. He sees everything with an eternal lens. I can't get my head around this yet, and I've been working at it for a while. He always existed. Can you get your mind around that? And he will always exist. Man, that's big. That's why he can offer eternal life. Recently, I, I was meditating on a verse that brought depression. James, the book of James. What is your life? It appears for a little time, a season, and then it vanishes away. And friends, I have been looking at my life as a big deal. And God says it's a vapor. Christ has always existed. He created us. He has a plan and purpose for our life. And then one of the most amazing, the most glorious things, he humbled himself. 
he took upon himself the form of a human being. He was born in the manger to the Virgin Mary. He lived a quiet and humble life. And he had three years of public ministry. And he demonstrated in word and deed that he indeed was the Messiah looked for in the Old Testament. He indeed was God, a very God. He limited himself when he took upon himself the form of a man. And they, he came unto his own, the Jewish people, they rejected him. They spit upon him. They gave him a horrible, ignominious death. And every one of his followers forsook him. He came, he died alone on the cross. He was buried, and the third day, he raised himself from the dead. Isn't that amazing? Then, people saw the holes in his hands. He talked to them. He ate with them. He hugged them. People hugged him. The men walking along the road to Emmaus and Christ appears. They're in the upper room and he walks through the walls. He says, touch me. Now, the Bible says we're going to have a body likened unto his glorious body. Now, that's exciting, isn't it? Do you know Jesus bodily ascended into heaven? And as he did, he said, I'm going to come again in like manner. And friends... When Jesus Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation period to set up his millennial kingdom, he's going to be as human as any one of us sitting here, i.e., he'll have a body. We'll see him. We'll hear him. We'll walk and talk with him. And then Jesus Christ says that he wants to dwell with man. You remember the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and 2? God did all the creation so he would have a place to dwell with man. And Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. And I'm telling you, in eternity future, when God creates the new heavens and the new earth, and the new Jerusalem, he is going to dwell with men. People will be able to walk and talk with the Lord Jesus. You see, Christ needs to be worshipped today at the table because he is the one who makes that relationship with God right. 
our relationship with God is based on his sacrificial love and upon Christ's forgiveness. You remember those words of Christ on the cross as he's dying? Father, forgive them. What? They know not what they do. Let me just say this quickly. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, one of the things, two things ought to start really growing in your life. One, you become a greater lover of God and a lover of people. And two, you become a greater forgiver. You know, we can't forgive in our own power. But God can give us grace and God can give us strength to forgive. And then we have something the world doesn't know about. We look at life through Christ's eyes. And how long is this life? A vapor. And forgiving is an e of internal, eternal importance for a believer to learn to do. And, and God today will help his church to be lovers of God and lovers of people, and he'll help us to be forgivers. You say, I don't have to. Hey, I'm telling you, when you live in a sin-cursed earth, you have to learn to be a good forgiver. And it happens at the most inopportune times for all of us. And Christ is our lover, and Christ is our forgiver. As you take the Lord's table this morning, would you remember the bread is symbolic of his body he came, took upon himself the form of a baby. He was physically crucified, and he bodily rose again. And that's a wonderful thing to remember. But I want you to throw this into the equation. Today, when a person comes to know Christ, we are by the Holy Spirit, baptized into the body of Christ. And when Jesus was judging in Matthew 24 and 25, he said, you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. And the church is called the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. You know, when you take the Lord's table, it's very important about your attitude toward other believers. Do you love them? Do you want the same thing Christ wants for them? And none of us can forgive ourselves, but all of us can trust Christ to give us an understanding 
of his love for us. And all of us can understand how God took away our sins and how we have no right not to forgive. You see, this morning, as we take the bread and the cup, we are remembering his body, and that's bigger now, I hope, and he will physically rule and reign for all eternity. But then we remember his blood. You know, the Old Testament, you read it, you say, man, there's a lot of blood in that Old Testament. And you're right, because they had thousands upon thousands of animals sacrificed at the temple or the tabernacle. And they were temporary coverings. You know, the blood sacrifice thing started back in the book of Genesis. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And then Christ came. And he died on the cross. He shed his blood. The once and for all sacrifice for sin. Can you believe that? The perfect man, the perfect sacrifice, died for our sins. This morning, we don't have to slaughter a lamb or an animal here to remember him. We take the cup, which is symbolic of his shed blood, and we take the bread, which is symbolic of his body, and we remember him, and as we remember him, We clean our hearts up, nothing between the Lord and I, and we worship Christ. You know, when we have a communion service, we should remember it's like a revival because we leave. There's nothing between my soul and the Savior. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we remember through these elements from the men that we would use them this morning to glorify and honor Christ at whose name we pray, amen.